Royals Review Radio. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. And the uh, first day of the draft has just wrapped up, and uh, here to talk about it is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Here, ready for one of my favorite nights of the year, um, and we're doing this on draft night, which is great. I don't remember if we did it on draft night last year or not, but I'm 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 happy to be here, and you know, it's a great night uh, just for baseball and for baseball fans. Yeah, at least if we're not going to have baseball games, at least we can have some new baseball news to talk about. So that's that's always a plus. Uh, also joining us is Alex Duvall. Alex, uh, how are you doing tonight? Uh, Max, I'm doing well. I was We had a nice little surprise there at the top of the draft, so I'm excited for how that fell for Kansas City, but doing well and finally had a little baseball action to uh, stimulate our summers a little bit. Yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting to see how things would go this year with, you know, obviously – Amateur baseball was shut down very early. A lot of uh, high school teams never even got started. College baseball season effectively ended in mid-March. Uh, so it was kind of, you know, I think people were trying to anticipate how things would go. And I kind of thought things would go more along the consensus because usually when there's a lot of uncertainty, everyone kind of looks to each other as to what to do. But instead, we did have a little surprise, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the Detroit Tigers had the number one pick, and they took Spencer Torkelson out of Arizona State. No surprise there. I think everyone thought he would be the, the top player selected and have thought that for several weeks now. Uh, but then the Orioles had the number two pick, and they kind of threw a wrench in everyone's mock draft when they took Heston Kierstad, an outfielder from the University of Arkansas. Um, that was a little bit of a surprise. I mean, he was uh, uh, a guy that was kind of projected to be more like the 10th best player in this draft. And we'll talk a little more about their strategy in just a minute. But uh, the the Miami Marlins also kind of surprised a little bit when they took Minnesota right-hander Max Meyer with a number three pick. And that left the Royals in a pretty good spot with the number four pick. They had a lot of good prospects to choose from. Vanderbilt's Austin Martin, Georgia right-handed pitcher Emerson Emerson Hancock, high school outfielder Zach Veen, and Texas A&M pitcher Aza Lacey, who uh, would end up being their pick at number four. Uh, He's a hard-throwing left-hander. Many rank as a top pitcher in this draft. And Alex, we'll talk a little bit more about how this draft unfolded in just a minute, but let's talk about Lacey for just a sec. Uh, what are the Royals getting here with Aza Lacey? Yeah, he he is definitely in the conversation for the best pitcher in the draft, and, and I know a lot of people think he is the best pitcher in the draft. Um, you know, lefty, fastball runs up to 97 pretty consistently, wicked slider. Um, he's, he throws a changeup and a curveball that are both pretty good, but also kind of still developing. Um, he reminds me a lot of Jackson Coar, where you talk about a power fastball, power forcing fastball, um, control over command, meaning that I think he's going to be around the zone a lot. I just don't think he has pinpoint command of his fastball. Um, with a, an elite secondary offering, Coar has a changeup, Lacey has a slider, um, and then it's that tertiary, that third pitch that's kind of, you know, it's there, it's usable, it's just not great yet. So we talk about Kowar a lot where, you know, if he ever gets that curveball figured out, he's a legitimate number one or two candidate in a rotation. I think Lacey's the same way. I think he's going to be a very good number three or four. And if he ever figures out that changeup and can really, really throw it and utilize against righties, um, you know, he's a potential number one or number two in a rotation. Yeah, you talk about the command versus control. And I think that was kind of the small, small knock on him uh, going into this draft. He tends to kind of go deep in counts, uh, and and maybe doesn't always put exactly where he wants to. And I I guess the first name what I heard when I when I when I read that uh, was Danny Duffy, like hard throwing left hander. That's not a great comp though. I think Lacey is a bigger frame, 
a guy that can probably be more of a workhorse, uh, probably higher upside as far as being like a true ace or at least a number two. So, I mean, it really seems like the Royals got kind of a steal here, Sean. But is should we be a little concerned that like the Marlins did pass on him for Max Meyer, or is that just maybe their uh-huh. preference and the Marlins are maybe not the well most well-run organization in the first place? I, I think the I actually think you know I know we this is a total side tangent I know we laugh at the Marlins but organizationally or you know as far as baseball development goes I'm not too down on them necessarily um, but I mean there was I think Max Meyer just got a bunch of heat um, he I wouldn't say he went unnamed but I swear that I did not see him start being mocked in the top five until like the past week basically um, and for whatever reason that is obviously nothing's changed because it's not like he played a game or sometimes you see guys have dominant college world series performances and they move up but that's obviously not the case um for anybody uh so uh, there was just some sounds like there was just some late steam with him i don't i don't necessarily see it i mean we knew the tigers were going to go torkelson um you know we could talk about what the orioles did but um you know let's just say they take austin martin there just like people expected uh so then it came down between you know marlins as they did had the choice kind of between who they wanted um and you know i, I could see i could see liking meyer over lacy in the sense that i feel like you can make the argument that meyer's one two pitches are better even though meyer doesn't have a third pitch um and you can maybe see the command might be a little better so it's like the guy with slightly, very slightly better two pitches, maybe a little better command versus Lacey, who has, you know, three pitches, two that are pretty dang good, a third that's okay, and then possibly a fourth, maybe a little worse command. We'll see. So I don't think it's – I think it's fairly close-ish, those two. But, I mean, in the end, you know, it sounds like obviously Myers, who they, they went with. And um, Dan Graffs had mentioned that, uh, strangely, uh, Lacey was one of the only top few guys to submit his medicals. Um, his MRI yeah, had an MRI done, and uh, I think Van Graffs had mentioned that it, it had gone anywhere from, I forget the exact terminology, basically was like not really worried about it, and someone else said eh, above average concern, but not you know nothing flagrant like we saw with um, Brady Aiken. Um, so I don't know, but I, I think that uh, I certainly think I like Lacey more than Meyer. So I, I like that. I would have gone Austin Martin instead, but give me Meyer Lacey. I, w- I would still take Lacey. Lacey had a 2.13 ERA last in 2019, under 130 strikeouts and 88 and two-thirds innings. So definitely a guy that can miss some bats. This year, his numbers were just flat-out dominating. Struck out 46 guys in 24 innings, allowed just nine hits, an ERA of 0.75 throws uh mid 90s sounds like he can hit 97 98 when he really wants to dial it up uh, but com- more comfortably sits around 94 95 his slider is described by one scout as one of the best sliders by a left-handed draft prospect uh in the last five six years so that slider seems to be like his out pitch his pitch that uh is going to miss a lot of those bats uh, you you had talked a lot about liking emerson hancock uh, who is also on the board for the royals there at number four uh how do you feel about getting lacy or hancock and also how do you feel about the Royals taking pitching, pitching period, knowing the risk that comes with pitching and also knowing that their system right now is kind of heavy on pitchers, maybe light on hitters? Yeah, I mean, I, I was clear personally that I would have preferred uh, Martin, who, again, none of us thought would be there. Um, Martin and then Hancock and then if we're just talking the, between those three and then uh, Lacey. 
I, I like Hancock just, and, and I think this is kind of maybe not my thing, but anybody who reads my stuff knows that I, I think about risk reward. Um, and I just think that Hancock, given that he's already got the good president above average command, he's got, you know, four average or better pitches already. It's not quite as, you know, sexy as seeing, you know, Lacey bury ridiculous curveballs in the dirt. Um, but it's still, I just like the risk reward a little better with uh, Hancock, who, you know, obviously went uh, right after or two picks after to the Mariners. Uh, no, yeah, two picks after because Jays took Martin at five. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I prefer Hancock, but um, it's not as if Lacey came out of nowhere, right? Um, I think some of us were surprised, like with the Hunter Dozier pick, we were like, oh, shoot, what they do now? Obviously, it was to get Mania, um, but, you know, Lacey was up there and. If the Royals didn't take him at four, I don't know if the you know Jays take him at four. They I think that they they like Nate Pearson, who's somewhat similar. Um, but I think he's getting stopped pretty soon, right? He's not going to just keep going like how Singer kind of fell um, a little bit uh, to the Royals. So it's really interesting the way this kind of worked out for the Royals. I mean, they uh, you know the, a couple weeks ago people were talking about you know this is a three player draft and the Royals have the fourth pick. You know, the three players being, you know, everyone was expecting Torkelson to go one, Martin to go two, Lacey to go three. Instead, we kind of get things jumbled around, Alex. And I know we'd kind of talked ourselves into taking Zach Veen, the high school outfielder from Florida, or possibly Nick Gonzalez, the second baseman from New Mexico State. I don't think a lot of us thought that Lacey or Martin would be available at number four. But here we are. So seeing how it played out, were you comfortable taking Lacey? Were you you know, do you think the Royals maybe should have taken Martin or maybe someone else that was available at that pick? Yeah, I was actually shocked that they passed on Austin Martin. Like if you, you know, and, and we never, you know, we don't get to interview Austin Martin. We don't get to sit down with him and talk to him and get to know him and see every at bat like the, you know, major league baseball teams do. But if you could, if Dayton Moore could build a baseball player in a lab, like I think we would all agree it comes out pretty close to what Austin Martin is and an elite hit tool he only struck out like two times in what seventy or eighty of plate appearances this year yeah. at Vandy. Ten to two. It's, it's an it is an elite hit tool. Um, he plays great defense at multiple spots on the diamond. He led the SEC in stolen bases as a freshman. He has developing power. I mean, he 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 strikes me as a more naturally gifted Whit Merrifield, um, and you know a Whit Mer- naturally gifted Whit Merrifield that could be in the major leagues before he's twenty seven years old. So. I really don't know what it is about Martin they didn't like. Whether I mean, maybe it's the exit velo. Maybe there's, um, you know, in the interviews or, or you know, their, their character, whatever they're judging for. Maybe there's something missing that we just cannot see. But if you're just talking about the baseball player on the field, I was shocked they passed off, uh, passed up on Austin Martin. And quite frankly, I was a little disappointed. So, um you know, Asa Lacey, I think he and Emerson Hancock were about neck and neck for the best pitcher in the draft. So, you know, Dayton Moore has said that the pitching is the currency of baseball. They have made it very clear that they like elite college pitchers. So, you know, I trust the Royals' judgment here. If they don't like Austin Martin for whatever reason, if they thought Asa, Asa Lacey was better, well, then awesome. Let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to roll. Um, but there was a, just a an initial wave of disappointment when I heard it wasn't Austin Martin there at the beginning. But like you said, we had, you know, talked ourselves into Zach Veen. I was shocked at how the board fell. And, um, you know, I think either way, whether it's Austin Martin, whether it's Asa Lacey, the board really fell in the favor of the Royals uh, earlier tonight. 
it was a really weird kind of roller coaster ride in that, you know, I, I think a lot of people were thrilled about Zach Veen if, if the Royals got him, and there was a lot of talk about the Royals getting Veen, and then the draft kind of unfolded the way it did. And then I think people started to talk themselves into Austin Martin. And then when they didn't get Martin, you know, there, I think there was kind of a little bit of disappointment that they got Lacey, even though I think a lot of people, if you told them a day ago, we're going to get Asa Lacey, they would have been thrilled. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of un- unfair to the Royals and unfair to Lacey, I guess, that there is, I guess, I know it's hard to say disappointment, but let me like a little bit of like maybe head scratching or, you know, that from some fans that they decided to pass on Austin Martin. But you get the best pitcher, you know, I think many people agree is the best pitcher in the draft. Certainly a guy that has put up eye-popping numbers. You look at him, he's got electric stuff. You can see that. Um, certainly has the kind of stuff that looks like he could be a frontline type starting pitcher. Pitcher, I think it's hard to be very disappointed with that. So, uh, you know, you mentioned the Royals going heavy in college ba- college pitchers. Of course, we know they did that in 2018, getting uh, Jackson Kowar and Brady Singer and Daniel Lynch. Uh, even last year, you know, they took Bobby Witt in the first round, but then they they took uh, took quite a few college pitchers after that. Uh, do you think the Lacey pick is part of that strategy, or is that maybe is it just maybe just the best player they had on their board at the time? Yeah, no, I don't think that was part of the strategy at all i think it's they stumbled into it and you know they i, th- I think every team has a draft board and, and honestly kind of like in 2018 when when brady singer was just there at 18 it was like well you know forget all the plans we had prior to this brady singer's here we're taking him like he is i i just think they probably had asa lacy so much higher on their board than whatever their plan was that they said forget all the stuff we drew up we're taking this guy so um you know, I was I was talking to uh, Jason Anderson and and the guys on eight ten last week about the the draft strategy and what that might imply about what the organization thinks of their system right now. And I think you kind of have to throw that away for the moment because of the fact that Asa Lacey was there. Um, I, I'm pretty confident in the fact that the Royals were going to take Zach Veen if the board fell the way that everybody thought the board would fall. Um, and if it wasn't Zach Veen, maybe they had an underslot deal for Kerstad as well. Um, but, you know, I, I really think their plan was not to spend a bunch of money on the best player available until the best player available was like the best player on their board. So I think it's a unique circumstance. I think it's going to um, kind of fog what we would normally analyze the draft as just because of the way the board fell to them. Yeah, uh, uh, just to add to that last comment or point is that, yeah, I mean, like sometimes you just kind of not get out of your own way, but sometimes you just let the people in front of you kind of make mistakes, right? Um, and, and, and not that they made a mistake necessarily, but sometimes you just let the, gosh, I think of any stupid analogy, but like with the Rockies. The Rockies going in tonight didn't think they were going to get Zach Bean, but as fortunes happen, and they kind of just let everybody else before her before them pick their guy and you know they got Zach Fien. so that's kind of a little bit with Lacey it's like okay well you know the three picks before us well two um didn't necessarily do what we thought we get Lacey okay I mean you know you throw away your draft board at that point or your expected board at that point um because you know I'm sure they would have scouted Lacey um but you know there comes a time where you know the Royals probably if we had a full season they would have seen Torkelson um Maybe a couple times, but at some point, you know, when you get into April and May, you you don't need to really see Torkelson anymore. You can kind of focus somewhere else. And so they might have done the same with Lacey, too. They kind of might have backed off, just assuming he's gone. Um, As far as depth goes, I like – I still – if I were to rank them, 
I would still go with um, Lynch first. Lynch, I, I, I said yesterday, Lynch is always going to be my number one, no matter who they took, unless they, you know, got. Um, I didn't even rank Martin um, or uh, Torkelson, just expecting they're gone. Um, but I, I think Lynch would be still my number one, um, and then I would have. I think Coar and Lacey fairly close. I think I would have Coar just ahead of Lacey, just because Coar has got some track record uh, in in professional baseball. Um, so I've got him there, but um, and then Singer, uh, and then you can kind of go after. Um, so I think it's good depth, and I like that it's college depth more than prep arm depth. Um, but you know, remains to be seen. Uh, I, I I've got you know issues with some guys in the system, obviously outside of Lynch. Um, but you know the saving grace is that it is um, college pitching. And, you know, that's, that's the best type of pitching you can get. What do you think of him, uh, Lacey, as a, as a, as a pro prospect? I mean, what, what kind of upside are we looking at? Is he a guy that yeah. can rise quickly or what, what does he have to work on at the pro level? Yeah. So command for me, it's command. Um, that's always going to be, we, we've seen so many guys kind of fall by the, the, the wayside because they didn't have they didn't have command. So Kyle Wright um, is the one of the closest comps that I, I saw I had to him as far as when I had that piece about draft grades, and uh, you know Wright for the most part fairly struggled in the minors with command, and then obviously when he got to the majors, I think he had like a five per nine uh, walk rate um, in the majors in negative WAR. So that's always going to be the, a big big thing for me. Um, obviously we like us to you know. Uh, plus pitches already, but I think he's got to work on command and I, I'd like to see um, the changeup get a little better and the curveball get a little better, but I mean, start the slider get a little bit better. Um, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. He, he was a reliever as well. I think he could be a guy that if the season is shortened, you know, say somehow in September, the Royals are near the playoffs. I mean, Lacey could be a guy he could stick in the bullpen and be ready to go. Like he's that advanced from, from a relief prospect standpoint, a la Finnegan. Now, if you want to make him a starter, like they tried with Finnegan um, for a, a brief time, obviously, uh, then yeah, you need to cook him a little bit. Uh, but he could probably be a guy that could go, I mean, could go right to Wilmington, right? Uh, on a regular season, um, sh- you know, could start next year in Wilmington, maybe tune up somewhere like in uh, Lexington or, or Arizona just to kind of get his feet wet and then go to Wilmington. But yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's, ready to start the climb not a guy you've got to kind of wait back on he just needs innings and needs to just kind of work on command um those are the two big things and then just keep throwing the change up alex what uh where would you kind of rank him in the, in the farm system for royals prospects and where would you if you were kind of ballparking where he would show up in a like a top 100 list i mean what, how elite of a talent is he as a draft prospect or as a prospect overall yeah i've got him somewhere between two and four on my Royals list. And I think Fangraphs had him in their top 75 overall. So and that, that sounds about right. I'd probably have him. I, I think officially I'll probably have him right after Daniel Lynch. So my, I mean, my personal list is like Bobby Wood Jr. One, Coar two, Lynch three, Lacey four. Um, but, but most of that is <clears throat> kind of like what Sean was talking about is, you know, as a reliever, you could throw Lacey in a big league bullpen and he'd probably be okay. But as a starter, um, if you want him to be like, like if we think about Danny Duffy, you talked about him earlier, you know, he was, he'd be really good for a few innings. And then he was, he it seemed like he was always in trouble in the fifth. Like he just didn't work very deep. And I think, you know, Lacey's command, I don't want to call it an issue, but his lack of elite command could be an issue. So, um, yeah, just until we see it in a, at the pro level, I've got a number four, 
you know, like maybe top 80, top 90 overall. But, I mean, he's showing off that he can command his fastball even a little bit away from – like he, he's got the raw stuff to be a top 50 prospect in baseball, maybe even a top 40 prospect in baseball. But I do think um, – I would like to see his changeup develop a little more. I do think I want to see the command develop a little more. But um, right now, like maybe top 90 in baseball and top four, top five in the Royal system. They have him at uh, 48th, Fangraphs does. Um, they Lacey at 48? They do. Yep. He got bumped up. He, uh, I forget where he was before because I had to update my aggregate board. Um, but he, he moved up at some point because I, I know for sure they had – because they have their rankings as Torkelson, Lacey, Martin – well, they, Eric has it as Torkelson, Lacey, Martin, and it was Torkelson, Martin, Hancock, Lacey, I think, before this iteration. So he got bumped up. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, they, they clearly, you know, like what they see uh, a little more. And I know Fangraphs typically is, is you know, really high on stuff. Um, I, I, so that's just, I guess, a little bit of a difference of opinion there is, um, you know, if you want Lacey to be a guy that works deep into the into, into games, I do want to see that command tick up a little more. But um, to see Fangraphs at 48, that is wildly impressive. Let's talk a little bit about how the draft did unfold. We did have some surprises uh, with the Orioles taking Kerstad second. Both Baseball America and MLB Pipeline have him ranked as a number 10 prospect, so it's not like he was like a huge, huge reach at number two, but, I mean, usually number two you don't see, uh, you know, reaching at all. Um, so, but obviously what they're doing is trying to reach an underslot deal with him uh, to try to have some flexibility elsewhere in the draft. Sean, do you want to kind of explain a little bit what the Orioles are trying to do with their strategy of taking Kerstad with the number two pick. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, every team is given a bonus um, and you can go over, or excuse me, every team is given an overall pool amount um, that's, you know, made up of bonuses and each, um, each uh, player counts towards, you know, whatever they sign for counts towards that overall pool allocation. And you can exceed it by about 5% uh, before really getting into trouble. And most teams push that threshold uh, because tax basically uh but every dollar you spend on you know joe smith is one less dollar you can spend somewhere else so if you can find a way to get a guy and this is what the orioles said if you can find a way to get a guy that you like um very rarely does a guy go one two or three that's more like a 50th or 60th overall kind of guy it's typically a guy that has the stuff like lance mccullers um is a guy that the astros took uh, later on, but he could have gone earlier uh, because of you know just how much they liked him. So it, it's a guy that typically you're going to take early. Uh, I think the slot for second overall was 7.7 million. So if they can get him at 4.5 million, that now gives the Orioles three-ish million dollars to go spend on someone else. So that that could be spread for just the guy they they take at 30, um, which I don't think it will be. Um, or it could be a guy that they take later on, and especially in a draft that's only shortened for five rounds. I mean, you could really concentrate that three million. I mean, the, the Royals, if they let's say they saved uh, three million bucks uh, with Lacey, which they probably won't, but let's say they do. Um, you know, they could spend it on probably not Lofton, which they took at thirty-two, uh, but they could uh, whoever they take at forty-one could be a hard sign because even if they give him all three million, they could give you know him one and a half, someone else one and a half to bump them up to two. So basically, every dollar you save somewhere, you. Could and spend somewhere else, and that's the idea. Um, and the Royals did it, you know, successfully with Manaya Hunter Dozier um, back in 2013. Um, Dozier was far back from where um, Kerstad was taken, 
Uh, I don't remember where Dozier was, but he was like 40th or 50th overall. Like as far as like uh, most rankings had him, but obviously he went eighth. Um, so that's a giant slot game they played. Kierstad's not quite that level, uh, but I I like Kierstad and I had him. He I had no problem taking him anywhere in the top ten. So if they can get him at second and you know save three million bucks, cool, good for the Orioles. Yeah, I think that overall the strategy make, makes sense. I think the Royals played it really well when they did it in 2013. Uh, I do question maybe doing it with a number two pick. That seems yeah. rather aggressive. And, I, I mean, if you're high on Kerstad, that's great. I, I, For me, I'm not as high on Kerstad just because of his swing and miss stuff. Uh, he strikes out quite a bit. Um, so, you know, passing up on a lot of the other talents like Austin Martin, like Aza Lacey, like Zach Veen. Uh, that you yeah. could have taken because yeah. Veen, they were talking about possibly him taking an underslot deal as well. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know. What, what, Alex, what's kind of your thought on the strategy? And is it worth doing with the number two pick? Uh, Can I add real quick, though? Oh, sure. Good. That Carlos Correa <laughs> was the number two pick, or excuse me, the number one pick, and he was two and a half million underslot. Uh, yeah, so the, yeah. the Astros, you know. I think that was a McCullers draft too. Um, yeah, so I don't think it's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway, sorry, not to butt in. No, Just no, no to get- there is kind of a good point in there of, of of like if you like a guy and he's not the number one guy on everyone else's board, but he's number one in your board. I mean, take him. You know, like. Even if someone else ranks him as number fifteen, I think there's an argument that you should just take him if you like him. So, but I don't know, Alex. What do you what do you think of that strategy? No, I completely agree, and I think there's a legitimate chance that you know Baltimore thought that Kierstad was like the third or fourth best player in the draft, and the perception of him being you know maybe a top ten guy allowed them to get a guy they loved at a cheaper price, mm-hmm. and then you know to to bargain with later. And and I will say, Cody Tapp just tweeted that. And maybe he misspoke. Maybe he just meant – I don't know what he meant. But he said – what Cody Tapp said on Twitter was that the Royals considered Nick Lofton with the number four overall pick, which means – and I and I had actually heard that the Royals may have had a deal with Kierstad in place if he was there at number four. So it wasn't just the Orioles that were ready to play this game. Um, you know, I've been hearing a little bit maybe that Dax Fulton could be in play for the Royals here coming up at 41, which – really all that means is the Royals were getting ready to play the same game where you go under slot with a guy that you like a lot more than other people at number four or, you know, top five. And then later on you go get a prep kid that you really don't want to go to college, you go get him. And so whether it's Mason Wynn, whether it's Dax Fulton, maybe Jared Kelly, apparently Jared Kelly is commanding an insane amount of money, whoever it is. Yeah, the Royals were ready to play that game until something like Lacey fell into their lap. They didn't expect to be there. So I, I don't really know what to make of it. I don't mind the game. Like I went back earlier today and looked at the 2013 draft. That was the Dozier Mania draft and Hunter Dozier. Actually, if you go back and look, there's, I mean, Tim Anderson might be the only player drafted after Dozier in the first round that really wound up being definitively a better pick like Hunter Dozier at the time was thought to be a reach by Kansas city, definitely an underslot deal. And it kind of was, but he also kind of worked out to where he's been better in the big leagues. Granted, it's just been that one year, but then everybody else that was drafted after him, say for Tim Anderson. So, you know, sometimes it's just falls into your lap where we like a guy a lot better than everybody else. We can get him and save some money for a guy later on. So, you know, let's go do it. And I think the Royals, um, probably planned on doing that as well until everybody else ahead of them you know turned sales and went the other direction so uh, we'll see um i really 
I, I really don't know what to expect. Like we, like I mentioned earlier, I think you can throw out all of your your strategy that you had before the draft. I think it goes out the window because of the Asa Lacy pick. But um, I, I have nothing against the underslot overslot deal strategy because um, it's worked for the Royals in the past. It's worked for the Astros in the past. And you know, if you like a guy, go get it. But I just don't think we're going to see the Royals do that anymore uh, because of Asa Lacy. I think you make a really good point. I, I, I guess it's it's like when in, an, in the NFL draft, kind of trading back to get multiple picks. And because the Major League draft is kind of a crapshoot, like you talk about with the, the 2013 draft, I mean, it almost makes more sense to give yourself more, you know, maybe not a top 10 pick, you know, trade that top 10 pick for a bunch of like 15 to 30 type talents, uh, especially if you like a guy or think a guy is undervalued by the rest of the, the market, I guess. Uh, it does make some sense. So I guess, yeah, that 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 it makes more, I guess that explains a little bit more what the Orioles are trying to do there and why other teams might try to follow that model. Uh, let's take a quick break, uh, and then we'll talk about the Royals' number 32 overall pick, Nick Lofton. Well, the Royals also had the number 32 overall pick in the competitive balance round, and they selected Baylor shortstop Nick Lofton. Uh, like Alex mentioned, Dayton Moore said they considered him at number four and they were really thrilled that he instead fell to number 32. So Sean, you want to tell us a little bit about Nick Lofton? Yeah. Um, Lofton's just kind of like an everywhere kind of guy, uh, played shortstop at Baylor, um, played five different positions, I believe. Um, can hit a little bit, can obviously run good defender. I mean, just, I, I, I don't know, you know, I, I hate to do this, but like the white, White guys that can play the infield get that, like, gamer kind of comp. And, I mean, that's a little bit of what Lofton is. Um, but just kind of a guy that we'll see about the power. Um, could still grow in a bit. And I comped him to Whit Merrifield-esque. Uh, that would obviously be the, the ceiling for him. Um, and Merrifield was a ninth rounder, uh, you know, kind of outlier. Um, but a kind of guy that, you know, five years from now if he's worth two three wins um i mean you could you could see it just because he's an above average fielder can make contact might have a little bit of power can run i mean not a bad profile um you could argue if it's worth the 32nd overall pick but if he ends up being two wins you know then yeah that's worth that's worth the 32nd overall pick Uh, baseball america had him ranked number 29th on their draft prospect ranking and mlb pipeline had uh, him uh, ranked number 36 so yeah. 32, I guess, kind of falls in between both of those. Uh, Alex, what did you think of the Nick Lofton selection? Uh, yeah, I, like I said just a second ago, I kind of thought they might go like a Dax Fulton type there, like like a big name prep. But uh, somebody made a good point that you know they've got all night to go talk to agents, figure money out, and then try again tomorrow with pick number 41. So um, yeah, I was a little surprised that they went with another college guy, but again. I hate to just keep pulling back to the same point that I think Asa Lacey just totally screwed up everything we thought about this draft. Anything we thought was going to happen is just kind of thrown out the window. So I was surprised, but, you know, I, I like Nick Lofton. I think he's, you know, got the, the ability to be an everyday guy in a big league lineup. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be in the top half of that lineup. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with surefire high floor guys, especially when you're picking – in the top five of the draft for the second year in a row. So, um, you know, I, I don't mind it. I don't think it's the ceiling we thought we were going to get. But, again, if they think they can underslot either Lacey or Lofton for whatever reason, then they're going to have some extra money to play with if they want to woo a prep kid out of college. So um, we'll see how the rest of the draft plays out. For now, I'm okay with Lofton. Uh, I really like the pick. Um, sounds like Dayton Moore was 
absolutely emphatic about him being there at 32. So, or ecstatic, maybe is a better word. But um, so, if Dayton Moore likes him, then I like him. So we'll see what the rest of the draft looks like. But um, seems like a like a good pick so far. Yeah, he seems actually a little bit like uh, Nicky Lopez, a little bit maybe without the speed, I mean, bigger guy, but um, and probably more power. Nicky Lopez doesn't have any power, but you know, just that high contact guy. I mean, he he puts the ball in play. The strikeout rate in college was under ten percent, uh, and he's a little, pretty versatile. He can play all over the place. I think the Royals. It's pretty clear they've been putting an emphasis on that in some of their player acquisitions. Kevin Merrill they got last year from the A's. Brady McConnell last year from uh, in the draft out of University of Florida. They liked him because he, he could play uh, both up the middle and the infield and the outfield. So uh, it doesn't surprise me they went for a guy like Lofton. Uh, does seem to have a very high floor. Uh, Keith Law called him one of the safest bets in this draft. So it seems like a guy that will be able to contribute at the big league level at some point. Uh, whether or not he'll have a big impact, we'll see. I mean, if he turns into Whit Merrifield or Whit Merrif- Merrifield-esque, I mean, certainly he'd be very valuable. Um, but I think at the very least, he probably becomes some sort of useful utility player. So, um, yeah. yeah. And one thing I want to add into that, it just kind of dawned on me, is if the Royals were torn you know, at all between Lacey and Martin at number four, and they thought, you know, Lacey, like I guess Dayton Moore just said in a press conference, that he thinks Asa Lacey has stuff that's in the top 1% in the world. Okay, so if you think that Lofton is a similar type of prospect to Martin, he's just not as good. And you think you can get him at 32, but you can't get anything close to Lacey at 32, then maybe that was the deciding factor. Um, I, I don't know, just throwing that out there, that I think Lofton and Martin are similar types of prospects. Martin is just clearly a better one of those types of prospects. So um, just kind of an interesting thought there. Just looking at going back to the first round, uh, were there any other picks you really liked uh, that were, were taken? Uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the Rays took a guy – that they basically hadn't seen, you know, a high school kid. Um, they, you know, they hadn't seen him play in the games. It was based mostly on, his, you know, his performance uh, with some Rapsodo machines. I mean, I, I don't know. They probably had seen a little bit more than that. But, but you know, this is an odd year where you don't get to see players a lot. But, Sean, is there maybe a, a pick or two that you really liked that really stood out to you as some really, a really smart pick for good value? Yeah, I mean, if, if we all like Zach Veen at four, well, buddy, what if I could tell you you could get him at nine? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I thought that was good. Um, I really liked I, – I like Garrett Mitchell a lot. I, I know that uh, – I know that I feel like I've got some crap for that for whatever reason, but I like Garrett Mitchell. Um, at And he went to 20th for the uh, Brewers. Um, never mind. You had an issue – not an issue, but you didn't like uh, Kirsten as much as I did. You like Garrett Mitchell, I think, right? Uh, yeah, I think you saw. I don't understand why people keep saying that the, his the fact that he right. has diabetes is a yeah. knock on him. Like, I and I don't have I don't know anyone with diabetes. I guess I don't. Maybe I don't understand all that it entails. And I know yeah. the Royals took Dan Reichert with that, and he had diabetes and he did struggle with it. Although it was really more that he had trouble not parting so much and and. and you know, keeping up his, his, his uh, physical <laughs> fitness. Yeah. But what is the concern with the diabetes? I don't know. Player? And it, it really feels like you have to really buy it because, like, Baseball America and MLB Pipeline had him as the sixth overall player in the draft. Um, but then, like, 2080 Baseball had him, and then ESPN had him at 20 and 19, respectively. So it's like, it's like okay, so either you really buy into it um, and you think that it's going to be a, a major issue, which doesn't seem like, well, I don't think that the, the Brewers think it's either not or is going to be an issue. But, you know, I think that they see, like, if you think he's the sixth overall player, heck, if you think he's the 10th overall player in the pick uh, in, in the draft and you get him at 20th, that's a pretty good deal. You know, it's not as if, like, 
he has like a broken arm or missing a leg or something like yeah he needs to obviously like work on making sure uh you know his his glucose levels are fine and you know he, he kind of keeps everything in check but has that been an issue uh, michael taylor has um uh has diabetes and then not Rocco Baldelli. Someone else had diabetes that played for the race. I can't think of. Well, Baldelli uh, had a, had a, like some sort of blood issue. I thought, or something. Yeah, he had some yeah. other some other ailment that. Yeah, but it wasn't Baldelli. It was yeah. someone who played for the race that had it okay. um, recently as well. Um, but I just think because Baldelli played for the race. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I like the Mitchell pick. Um, oh, I'm just looking through the Hassel pick went to the Padres. I thought that was okay. Um, I know that MLB Network or maybe it was ESPN, ESPN comped him to Mike Trout somehow. I, I don't know why they did that, but they just <laughs> no pressure, his, kid. <laughs> they took his exit velo, um, his metal bat exit velo, mind you, and then said, "Oh, this is uh, Mike Trout." Um, other than that, I think we all kind of like Pete Crow Armstrong a bit. So getting him at nineteen was decent for the Mets. Um, I don't know, Alex. What do you think? Anything else that stood out? I love Mick Abel. I think Mick Abel yeah. is a surefire big league starter. Like, he reminds me of I, – I, I, like, when I watch him pitch, I just I, it reminds me of Jacob deGrom. I don't know why. Just, like, the fluidity of how he throws, and then it just it just pops out of his arm with insane velo and insane movement and great break. And it's just like this kid doesn't have to try to hit 100 miles an hour with a nasty curveball. I, I thought it was insane, unless unless his asking price was just astronomical, which I have no way of knowing about. But it just it I could not believe he fell into the late teens. I thought for sure he'd be gone by, you know, pick ten or eleven. Uh, so getting yeah. Mick Abel outside of the top ten is is a steal and a half. Um, we all like Pete Crow Armstrong a bit. I personally could not believe the Slade Sacconi fell down to thirty three or yeah, thirty two. Thirty two, right? Right, right yeah. after that. Royals, so thirty-three right after the Royals' second pick. Um, I was, when he was on the board there for the Royals' second pick, I got excited because he is like, I think he's definitely a top ten arm in the draft, borderline like a top six or seven arm in the draft. Um, I really, really like Slade Zaccone. I've been watching him since he was in high school, um, and I just, I don't know what I'm missing, why he fell so hard. I do know he's a draft eligible sophomore. Maybe his asking price is a little too high for a Sunday starter, but. Whatever, man. I I think who was was it the who got him at thirty three? Diamondbacks did. Diamondback. Oh, who did they? They got. Yeah, uh, they got Jarvis. Yep. Whew. Yeah, they had they had they a, good, a haul and a half. They had a couple, yeah, college guys. That's a great. That's a great haul for Arizona. I really, really, really like that for Arizona. Um, yeah, they like yeah. guys with big curveballs and kind of cutters, and that's um, what Jarvis. Uh, yeah, I mean. It, they both kind of fit their type, so that's a good yeah, one. Yeah, awesome. and you're right about um, Abel. Yeah, Abel falling. I mean, Abel was, I think, on my ag board, what do I have him as? 11th. He went 15th. I think he could make the case, like, uh, who was higher. A couple people had him at 9th. So I, I like the Abel one. I think it was just people are just scared of high school pitchers. This t- Normally, I think we're going to start seeing high school pitchers go later to begin with, just period. Um, but in a pandemic draft, I think safety is the key, right? And so given the risk level of high school pitchers and the short track record, um, yeah, I think uh, I, I think that's a push them down. But good on the Phillies. Um, I think he got comp. Who did they comp? I'm sure Abel got comp to like Nolan Ryan or Cy Young or something. So, uh, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> Reynolds, I, I don't know who Reynolds comped him to. But anyways, yeah. 
uh, Abel's a Abel's a nice pick, I think. Yeah, he's yeah. And then I think Jared Kelly is a guy that I can't believe is still on the board. He's yeah, I, I guess he's going to demand a huge haul. Yeah. So if you don't want to meet the price, I get it. But that kid, I think he is almost as good as Mick Abel. And for him to still be there, you know, if that's what the Royals decide to do with that 41st pick, I would have absolutely no problems with that. What are some other names we should be looking at for day two? I mean, like you mentioned, Alex, um, the Royals, you know, and all teams will have a chance to kind of call – players and their agents and kind of feel out what the, what kind of bonus demands they have and maybe some teams with some flexibility um, you know which could be the Royals maybe not uh, can maybe make a strong offer so who are some names that have fallen that uh, if you're hoping to get a, get a steal uh, you could you could look in, in early in round two yeah, yeah I think Jared Kelly's good go ahead Alex oh sorry yeah I think we're, we're both there on Jared Kelly at 30 at 41 is the is the big name but um, I think Baltimore is going to end up with a huge deal for him after taking that shortstop out of Mississippi State with their second pick. Um, but if Jared Kelly's not there, I think the two guys you got to keep your eye on are Mason Wynn, who is a friend of Robert Moore. He's a shortstop and a right-handed pitcher, a prep kid from Texas. And then Dax Fulton, 6'6", 225-pound lefty out of Oklahoma. Um, both of those guys would be absolute slam dunks for me. Um, at 41, but I, I really do think the Royals are going to go with a tremendous amount of prep upside with that 41st pick. It's just going to kind of matter, kind of come down to the price, and um, I think the money's there if they want it. So we'll see. But I'm really looking forward to seeing which of those prep kids they roll with at 41. Um, yeah, same thing. I'm not a big I'm not a big Mason Wynn fan to be honest. I don't like the hybrid kind of raw tools he you know is he a pitcher is he going to be a shortstop oh he's got a good arm speed maybe doesn't make contact i just don't like those profiles um that much so i i i I would rather have it at 41 than 32 but i don't even like it at 41 that much to be honest um but yeah i mean jared kelly's a good one cole wilcox is still out there um he went to the nationals two years ago um i think he was like the 35th or 36th overall pick um to them um, I remember that being a really contentious negotiation yep. too. I don't know if that will scare some teams away, but that, that I think that got pretty nasty at one point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so you know he's just cleaned up at Georgia for the most part. Um, but that's one that you know a team wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles uh, took him. Um, but yeah, I love Dylan Dingler, and um, I know the dudes at Twenty Eight Baseball love Dylan Dingler, and someone had him. Hold on, I'm gonna see. Uh, yeah, uh, Keith Law had him at 17th. It's like somebody was really pretty high on him. I like him. Uh, converted center fielder to catcher. Very, very weird. Um, but it's got some power. Broke a handmate. Um, but we'll see what power happens. But I really like him. College catcher. I- I've learned my lesson to not ever consider prep catchers ever again. Um, so at least he's a college catcher. Um, and so that's a guy that I would like. JT Jin is still out there. Talk about guys that have been drafted before. Um, I think he was with the Dodgers. Um, and, uh, so he's still out there. Um, uh, yeah, he was 18th overall. Oh, wait. Uh, I don't remember when he was taken, but with the Dodgers in 2018. Um, I forget. I think it was first round. Uh, anyways, but another guy that's out there. So there's a couple guys you could play with some money. doesn't have to be kind of that prep. Um, will they, will, will they, won't they sign kind. Um, but there's guys that you could still throw money at that, you know, you can definitely convince them because it's not so much that it's a traditional where like on a normal draft you've got the college guys who are like in the second or third it's kind of like you know take it or leave it i mean sure you want to go back to school and risk it 
Now, because they've got the increased eligibility, they kind of take it or leave it isn't quite there. I think the players in the back kind of half of the first, later in the second-ish, third, have a little bit more leverage than they normally do, college guys normally do, uh, because, yeah, they can go back, um, have very low miles on their arm because of this year, um, and, you know, go again uh, in, in a year from now, so... Well, the juniors this year, if they go back, they're still classified as seniors next year, correct? It's only the seniors who got the extra year of eligibility. Is it? I didn't I know think that. So. Okay. I, I was talking to a college coach recently, and I'm, I'm under the impression that it's only juniors that are going to get – I'm sorry, it's only seniors that are going to get the extra year. The juniors are just kind of SOL from a year. So I really don't know that the juniors will have any extra leverage. So if you're a guy like Asa Lacey, and, and for example, if the Royals offered him an under-slot contract there at number four, I don't know what Asa Lacey's options are because you can't improve that much yeah. from number four in the first place. And if you go back to school, you come back next year into the draft as a senior, and you have really no other option but to sign whatever deal you're given. So um, I know I've mentioned yeah. on the podcast before that the teams have a lot of leverage, but I just think – you know, I, I think Dayton Moore's character is is in a in a place where he's not going to cheat somebody out of the out of money if he doesn't have to. I, but I do think if teams wanted to in this draft, you could see a lot of underslot deals for these college kids just because I don't know what kind of leverage they have in this crazy unique year. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it depends. And I was really just talking about guys in the back of the first, second, and third, not the top, like, ten, because those guys don't have much leverage. Uh, you know, if I'm a GM, I would offer Torkelson you know, $1,000 more than the second overall pick because no way is he going to go back next year. Uh, I'm automatically going to save money. Everybody in the first five picks should save money automatically. I'm thinking of a guy who, like um, – uh, gosh, I'm thinking, like, like C.J. Van Eck. Like, if he doesn't go here soon – he didn't pitch at all this year, so he doesn't have that mileage on his arm. I mean, as long as he doesn't come out next year and just absolutely stink, which is a risk, he should go better than second or third over uh, third round. I mean, with the college, when you've got a college pitching class that's as deep as it is now, next year looks a bit more top-heavy. I mean, you're, you're really just hoping to move up 15 slots or so. You don't need to go from – because, you know, going from the 30th overall pick to the 15th overall pick – it's way less harder than going from the second overall pick to the first overall pick. You're, you're pretty much never going to make go from two to one if you go back to school. But you could see with the time off, a um, little bit more information, teams being a little less scared uh, or you know being a little less hugging the safety net, I think the guys in the second-ish, third rounds, and like I said, back of the first, might have more leverage than they normally do to, in the sense that even though they go back as seniors, I don't think that hurts them as much. Um, it's a, you know, obviously you lose leverage being a senior, but I don't think the net difference between going back now and then losing it as a senior is quite as big. And I mean, worst case is I don't see a guy like JT Jin if he goes back to school. I don't see him going 60th overall next year or something like that. He'll still be a first round, an early first rounder. So I would use that leverage um, for them. Cole Wilcox, too. There's almost no way he goes back as a draft eligible. He's a draft eligible sophomore now. So there's almost no way he goes back. Um, as a junior and you know drops even more unless again he gets hurt we'll have to see what happens in day two and i think the royals are in a pretty good spot with their large draft yeah. bonus pool and picking early and 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 you know i'm not i don't know if it matters that much but i think they have garnered some goodwill among agents and players potential players uh with some of their actions paying 
minor leaguers here over the summer. So hopefully that that gives them a little bit of a you know good relationship with with some of these players, and they can get a good steal here in the in the, in the next couple of rounds. Only five rounds of this draft. Uh, I don't you know it seems crazy to me, but apparently they're only take five rounds of players. But uh, we'll we'll have to bring both of you guys back after the draft is concluded. We'll talk about some of the other other selections. But uh, thanks again for coming on tonight. And thanks for uh, our readers and listeners for tuning in, and we'll uh, talk to you all next time. Hey!